and grab out your Bible and something to take some notes with. I say it every Sunday. We believe in taking notes here at Victory. We believe in these moments we have together that God would speak to us. And let me just tell you right off the bat, this is not a vanity project. I'm not saying write down every word I say. I'm saying as we study God's word, God will reveal some things. And you can jot those down. It's important when he shows you something to jot it down. Because it doesn't matter if he shows you a hundred things last year if you don't remember what they were. And so as God begins to speak to you in worship, in the sermon, in your devotion throughout the week, just encourage you, jot some things down. Even if you don't like taking notes, jot some things down so you can reference those on your spiritual journey. I promise it is a growing, developing discipline you need to have in your life that as God reveals things, you can jot those down. The Holy Spirit brings to life scriptures that maybe you read a hundred times before, but now God is showing you something new for the season that you're in. So I just want to encourage you with that. And so the last several weeks, we've been in this series, More Than Conquerors, talking about the dream that God has for each one of us, the life we're supposed to live. And so this out of our theme verse is Romans chapter 8, verse 37. It says, no, in all these things, we are, read it with me, we are more than conquerors. One more time, like you can read, everybody. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I hope you hear this one final time during this series That the Christian life is not about just barely making it by, just kind of squeaking into heaven, just like by the skin of your teeth thinking, whew, you know, it got a little dicey there, but I'm glad I'm here. It's not what the Christian life is about at all, but the Christian life is about a victorious life we live in Christ. Through him who loved us, that you're supposed to be more than a conqueror. And so we've been talking about different areas of life because this doesn't mean that life is suddenly very easy to live, that suddenly all the challenges we face disappear in a puff of smoke. That we still certainly have an enemy of our souls, one who's trying to trip us up in this journey that we're taking. And so we've been studying in this series different ways that he might use to trip us up in our journey. To kind of keep us from following and living out the life God has for us. And so week number one, we talked about conquering fear. That is one of the most prevalent uh, emotions, I think, in our culture today. And so we looked at what the Bible has to say about conquering fear in our lives. Week two, we talked about labels and identity issues that so many of us have, whether it was from when we were a child or an adult, things that we've carried in our lives. That was week number two. Last week, Kirby brought a message on conquering idols. Now idols try to creep back into our lives, maybe in areas you don't expect. And so even if you don't think you struggle with that, I would encourage you to jump online, listen to that message about conquering the idols in our life. Today, I want to kind of end the series in a different way. And I'll introduce today's topic with a story. And it's not one I am proud to tell, but it's the truth. All right, everybody? I don't think it's any secret that I enjoy watching sports, any type of sport. If there is a stick or a ball and there is some type of competition, I will watch it. All right? I will, I will tune in. A few years back, this is not the story, but about 20, I'd say about 15, 20 years ago, I found myself at 3 a.m. watching the poker championship from two years before. Come on, somebody. I was... Like, not even current, I could look up the winner, and I was still invested in that hand at the end. And so it just, that's just free, all right? That's just, that'll speak to somebody. But a few weeks ago, I had settled down on my couch. My kids were asleep already. Uh, Kind of the day was pretty much over. I kind of settled in with a Swiss cake roll, which is God's gift to humanity, and a (laughs) cup of milk. And I was going to watch the last NBA game of the day. Come on, that is heaven right there, everybody. That is just my personal, I don't care what yours is. That's what mine is. And so I was kind of settled in watching and the game had started and I got a message from somebody in the church, just a text message asking if I had seen about the Ukraine. And I am not the most up to date current events type of person, but obviously I had seen for the last couple of weeks the invasion and all that had happened up until that point uh, in the Ukraine. But I was kind of curious about what they were talking about. And so I grabbed my computer and jumped online to see. And what I saw was just horrific. 
just absolutely just just horrified at there were toddlers and infants dying from missile strikes. There were pictures from the Ukraine, from the orphanage that we support there, that they had turned their basement into a bomb shelter. It was just just images that had been flowing out, and you've seen some of those. And my heart, my wife and I have three small children, and so my heart just just dropped, just heavy before the Lord at this tragedy, seeing the kids and what they're going through and seeing just the people. And so I, I began to pray, and not some mamby-pamby. I just prayed before God, just wanted to, just, my heart was heavy, just wanted to pray a prayer. And just just pray over that. And then I, I messaged one of the ministry leaders over there about how we could get involved, how we could give as a church, what we could help with, anything that they needed, things. I sent that message. And then I added a little to-do thing in my, my phone, my little to-do list uh, about how we needed to pray for this as a church that coming Sunday and how we needed to do those things. And I kind of entered that in there. And about that moment, uh, the, one of the power forward for the team I was cheering for reached out and slapped one of the other players of the other team. And I thought, now we're going to see some real basketball. Like, this is going to be, now this is going to be the moment. And just like that, closed my laptop, put it to the side, and completely forgot about what had just broken my heart 30 seconds before. Completely forgot. Not like it was on my mind, it was over to the side. I was still holy and thinking about it. No, completely forgot. And an embarrassing amount of time went by before I realized that I had forgotten the tragedy. Completely forgot. Went back to my comfortable home where my three kids were sleeping safe in their beds. Watching my game, eating my Swiss cake roll with my cup of milk back in the comfort of my life and completely forgot. And we could have ended this series in a hundred different ways. But I want to end with that thought because it finally broke me out of my stupor that night. Of what is wrong with me that I can hurt over a tragedy. I can, I can weep over something that I've seen, but I can't do it for longer than three or four minutes before going back to my own comfortable life. And like I said, we could have gone in a hundred different directions with the end of this series, but today I want to talk about how do we conquer indifference? How do we conquer indifference? Because it's been said that we are the apathetic generation. We are the ones who just kind of say, man, we don't want to get involved. We don't want to do the work. We don't want to go too far into anything, too committed into anything, because we got priorities and we have things to do. And it would take too much time and too much effort. And so we'll just let it lie where it lies. How do we conquer indifference? And so to introduce this message, I want to share with you a portion of a parable. This was our reading this morning. Uh, if you do the one-year Bible with us, this is what this morning's reading is out of the book of Luke. Because Jesus tells this parable in response to a religious expert who comes to him. And the expert comes to him basically with a question, but I'll kind of paraphrase his question because this is what he really meant. But he comes to Jesus and he wants to know how he can just get by. He wants to know, how can I just do enough for this whole thing? How do I find eternal life is what he says. How do I do just enough? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers his question with another question. He looks at him and he says, what does the law say? And so the man then responds and he says, well, the law says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And then the guy does exactly what many of us would do if we were taking a chemistry course. We just need to know exactly what do you need for me to pass this thing? What's the least amount of effort I can do to get the result that I desire? Right. Like what what's going to be on the? I don't care about the actual subject, but what's on the test? And so he looks at him because Jesus looks at him and says, go and do likewise. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love others, your neighbor as yourself. And so the man then looks at him and is like, okay, if I have to love my neighbor, then who is my neighbor? Like, what do I, what, what's on the test? If I've got to love people, then who do I have to? If I have to love them, do I have to love everybody? Who exactly do I have to love? 
And so Jesus looks at him again and he tells this parable. He's answering him this question about who are you supposed to love? He says there's a man going from Jerusalem down to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. And so we've got this guy lying in the ditch, bleeding, about to die. Jesus said he's lying there, he kind of sets the stage for it, and then he brings in the characters. And watch this, Luke 10, verse 30, he says, A priest happened to be going down the same road. He happened to be there. And when he saw the man, watch this, read it with me, he what? He passed by on the other side. When he saw this guy lying there bleeding, about to die, he saw him and he kind of widened his stance, probably looked at his phone, like try to pretend like I don't see anything, right? There's not anything happening over there. And he passed by. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So they might have been on the same side as the guy, but they are so, so repulsed by this. So I'm not getting involved. I'm not doing this. I passed by on the other side. What a picture of indifference. And I think sometimes we like to point the finger at the characters of this story and forget about our own indifference. But what a picture of indifference. I see this guy. I see him there. I see him lying in the ditch, dying. I I see the need. I see the hurt. I see the pain. But I just don't have the time for this. I got too many things. I got to say, they probably need me back at the temple anyway. Like they're just waiting on me to pray over lunch or something. Like I just got to get going. And so they pass by on the other side. I know he's in bad shape, but I just can't get involved. And then Jesus ends the story, talks about another character, the Good Samaritan, who sees the guy, sees the need, picks him up, bandages him, puts him on his own donkey, and takes care of him. And then he looks at that religious expert one more time, and he says the same phrase. He says, now go and do likewise. And I think sometimes we don't like that command at the end of the story. We want to go and do how we would like to do. We want to go and do what's convenient to do. We want to go and do what's comfortable to do. We don't want to do likewise. Why is it that it's so hard to care like Jesus called us to care? Why is it that a pastor can care for all of three minutes and then go back to my comfortable life? Why is that thing? I want to talk to you today. I want to give you at the beginning of this message, I want to give you three uh, reasons that I think we should talk through. Three things that I think contribute to this. There are hundreds of reasons why we don't care how Jesus called us to care. But I think there are three that are worth talking about. The first one, number one, jot it down if you're taking notes, is we just have information overload. Isn't that true? We're just exposed to too much information at all moments of our life that it's then difficult to care when there is something to actually care about. The sheer volume of information that we're exposed to every day is just overwhelming. For example, if you scroll through your phone your social media of choice, whether you scroll or tap or whatever it is that you do, if you watch it, the news, whatever it is that you consume all of this, you might hear about the crisis in Ukraine, but you also hear about an earthquake in Nepal and a cat who fell down a hole in Iowa and probably, you know, a car bombing in Syria or a friend of yours has got a GoFundMe for a 12-year-old to have surgery or somebody says Will Smith slapped their grandma five years ago, right? You are exposed You are exposed to the sheer volume of information that when you come across something that you actually should care about, it's too hard to pick it out of the rubble. It's too hard to figure out what it is. And so many different things that we're exposed to. We're exposed to tragedies all the time. It's another hurricane or it's another earthquake or it's another crisis, another refugee. Just all these things we're exposed to, another bombing, and it's so difficult to care. Information overload. The second reason that we have, jot it down if you're taking notes, is we feel powerless to make a change. So we're we're constantly bombarded with all of these things. But then even if we do decide, because I'm convinced that most of us do actually care. 
at least a little bit, but we feel like, well, who am I to make a difference? I don't have the resources. I'm not rich. I don't have, I can't go to that place. I can't do that. Who am I? How can I possibly make a difference? And besides, I'm just trying to like get my own degree. I'm just trying to like get my own life going. I'm trying to keep that job. I'm trying to make that deadline. I'm trying to get my two-year-old potty trained because we're going to stop pooping on ourselves. Come on, somebody. Like I just, I got stuff to do. Who am I to make a difference? We feel powerless to make the change. And so then we default to indifference. We default to apathy. We're overloaded with information. We feel powerless to make a difference. And number three, maybe the most relevant and painful thought is that we are blessed and cursed with convenience. And I've talked on this a couple of times now this year, but we are blessed and cursed with convenience. Now think about this. Virtually almost all of us, everybody listening to this message right now, probably 98%, 99% are incredibly blessed. You think about this, most of the people in this room, you can push a button on your phone and have a pizza delivered to you in 30 minutes or less. That is incredible, everybody, all right? That is a miracle. Never take that for granted. That is just a blessing of God on your... You could have one in this service. They could walk in those doors and bring you a pizza. And we would all ask if you have enough to share. But we can bring those. It can have, that is incredible. This last week, I ordered... I ordered something for the academy in the back, something about about 85 pounds, this printer. And it had a two-hour same-day delivery option. Come on, so that is a miracle. They will drop that 85-pound printer on my doorstep within two hours. We live in the most convenient generation that has ever lived on this earth. But it is a blessing and it is a curse. That we are blessed with convenience, and but we are cursed. You can binge watch your favorite Netflix show until you're blue in the face, right? You can enjoy that until it buffers. Come on, somebody. And then you are offended beyond belief that your Netflix is buffering, your television. You cast a demon of buffering out of that thing. You just continue. We are blessed and we are cursed with convenience. Because what's so difficult is the more comfortable our lives become, the more comfortable we want them to become. It's like a drug. The more convenience you have, the more you want. And the little more you get, the more you want, the more comfortable. Then we, even as Christians, begin to leverage God as the God who gets us what we want. We live in convenience, and so we apply it to our spirituality. We live in comfort, and so we decide, I want to go to church that's convenient. I don't want, to, you know, I don't want them to force me to connect with anybody or make me feel guilty in any of the ways that I live. I want a God who makes my headaches go away and makes my bank account go up. I don't want... I don't want any kind of, I don't want to hurt. I don't want to sorrow. I don't want any kind of inconvenience in my life. I want convenience because we're blessed and we're cursed with it. Life is all about me. So how do we conquer this attitude of indifference? How do we break out of it? I want to give you one big thought and then some supporting thoughts, some action steps we can take before we go today. Just one big thought. Here it is. How do we conquer indifference? Jot this down. Watch. Consistently focus on your calling and not your comfort. Because I I think if we're going to boil this thing down, here's the kind of the top level thought. We're going to walk through this consistently focus on your calling consistently, because if there isn't consistency, we will lose interest. We as humans, if there is not consistency, we will lose all interest in whatever it is. Consistently focus on what God has called you to do, where God has called you to reach the people God has called you to love. Consistently focus on that. For example, every single one of you who has hurt over something in your life, been heartbroken over a situation or a tragedy or something, every single one of you has done it. You have noticed that if you are not consistently exposed to it, consistently keep up with it, consistently see what is happening in that area, you will default back to thinking about yourself. It is the human way. If you've ever seen that happen in your own life, it is what we do. 
It is our calling card as human. We will default to thinking again about ourselves. For instance, if you've ever been to a developing nation, whether on a short-term mission or you've gone there in whatever capacity, if you've ever walked into abject poverty, in that first day, your eyes suddenly become open and you are, you are wrecked in a good way. You are heartbroken. You're thinking, well, they don't have this and they are living in that and they're doing this. And then all of a sudden, your eyes have been open to it, but then you start to think, and they are happier than I am. I don't know what's going on with that. They just more sad. That's a day three or four type of thing. You start to think, you think. And so you kind of work your way through and then it's time to go. And so you start to think, well, I have forever been changed. I have seen this thing. I have been changed by this. And so when I get back to my life, I'm not going to live the same way that I've been living. I'm not going to do the same things that I've been doing. I have been changed by this. I'm not going to want the same things. I'm not going to, I'm going to get upset over the same things I used to get upset about. I have been forever marked and changed by this. And so you get back to your house. And what happens when you get back to life? Life happens. And you start to think, well, I got to keep that job and I got to go here and do that. I got to get the dog to the vet and I got to get these things happening. And I got to do this and that. And my whole life is over because now they're out of my cereal at Walmart. They ran out and my whole life is about to end. And I can't and you'd not even recognize the person that you were a few weeks before. What happens when we're not consistently exposed to that thing to which we are heartbroken for God's word. What are we heartbroken over in this world? If we're not consistently exposed, we default to indifference. We don't consistently. We drift back to what we are before. So what do I mean by all this? I mean, put yourself around those things that break your heart on behalf of God. Consistently put yourself around, expose yourself to those things. Constantly, consistently. That we would stay in that attitude, that we would take whatever it was that we had on the mountain, that we would be able to let it sustain us, that we would consistently have that. You're around it where it's enough that it breaks your heart, that you look at it and you say, no, I know that God's not okay with that happening. I know that God's not okay with that. And I know that God wants that to change. And so it's not going to happen on my watch. I'm going to break my heart for the things that break God's heart. And when you consistently expose yourself to those things, indifference cannot stay in your heart. Indifference cannot exist in your life. When you expose yourself to that, it starts to change indifference to a righteous anger to make a difference in the world around us. So how do we overcome indifference? We focus on our passion and not our comfort. In fact, that's what the Apostle Paul did. I want to show you one of the most moving verses in Scripture, in all the New Testament. First, let me kind of give you the context. Paul, if you don't know who Paul is, you're new to the Bible. Paul was not always referenced as Paul in the Bible. He was originally referenced as Saul. Now, Saul hated Christians. And so if you're here today and you're like, I'm not a Christian and I hate Christians, you would have loved Paul, all right? Saul, you would have just enjoyed being around him. Saul was, would kill Christians. That's how much he hated them. Until one day he had a genuine example, a genuine encounter with the living God, with Jesus Christ. And it changed him into Saul. He changed him into Paul, who was the most gospel spreading, one of the most incredible gospel preachers in the history of the world. That he had that encounter with Jesus, went from a Christian hater to one of the gospel's preachers. And so now, Paul, what I want to do is I want you to watch what he says. Because Paul makes one of the most other-centered statements that's ever written in the New Testament. And this is how he sets it up. He sets it up with three different, uh, three different confirmations. Three different ways he says, I know you won't believe what I'm about to say, but I promise you it's true. 
I know you might not believe what I'm about to say, but I promise you this is true. This is like about 10 years ago when it was no lie. You would just say no lie. I'd just say, and I'd be like, are you going to lie to me? Is that why you are telling me? It's when people used to say this, but it's it's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I'm going to confirm this three different ways that I promise you what I'm about to say is true. And watch this. He says it in Romans chapter 9, verse 1. He says, with Christ as my witness. So watch this. He says, Christ watching over. You might not believe me, but Christ is my witness that this is the truth. I speak with utter truthfulness. So I I know, again, you're not going to believe. I'm about to make a statement that you might not believe, that you would think is just hyperbole, but I am speaking with truth. And then the third one, my conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. He is setting this up, that what I'm about to say, you might just take as Christianese, you might just take as hyperbole, but this is the God-honest truth that I'm about to speak to you. And watch what he says. He says, you might think I'm exaggerating, but this is the truth. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, for my Jewish brothers and sisters. He's saying, my heart is breaking for them. That I have been exposed to this people group, this group, these are my people, that my heart is breaking for them. That I would be have this sorrow over them, this bitter sorrow, unending grief. And I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. Paul is saying, I would be willing to go to hell if it meant that they would be saved. And he sets this up. It's not hyper. You can't, you can't claim it's hyperbole. He sets this sentence up saying three times, Christ is my witness. The Holy Spirit confirms it. My, I, I believe this is my God's honest truth to you. I would be willing to be sent to hell if it would save them. My heart breaks as in an anguish because they have not heard the truth about Jesus Christ. And they have been condemned to, he's saying, my heart is breaking, unending grief. Bitter sorrow. This is the kind of passion I believe God has for each one of us over the lost. That God has a passion for every single one of us. When you care like that, you can't do nothing. When you care like that, you can't just go back to the comfortable life. You can't kind of kind of swing between two things. It can't be the pendulum in your life when you care like that. And I believe God has called us to have that kind of passion. That he's called us to have that. So what do we do when we start to move in the, in the, away from indifference and then into the direction of making a difference. What do we do? And I just want to give you how to channel this passion that I believe God has called every single one of us to have. Three things, three ways I think we can go from here and start to channel this. Just steps we can take to start this. It won't all happen overnight, but I promise you, if we make this to be a consistent thing in our lives, we ask the Holy Spirit to give us the strength to do this. Three things I think we can start to do. The first one is this, just choose something. Choose something, focus on something, because let's just be honest with each other. There are at least a million different things in this world that we could be passionate about. Let's just be honest, all right? There are a million things that we could be passionate about, too many things to even count that we could be upset. What could we be upset about? I made a quick list yesterday, just kind of jotted some things down, thinking about this. This list could be endless of things. I know there are so many who stand up for the rights of the unborn. We could be upset to stand. We need to stand for those who are not yet born. For those of you, you believe that we need to stand and all of us that believe we need to stand against racial inequity and injustice. And some of you, you have that intense passion. You say, I need to stand for others. Some of you, it's you say, I need to stand for those who need to be adopted or fostered. They need to find good homes for the children around the world. Others of you, you have a, a calling. You say, I want to stand for our overseas missions. You have a place and a village and a town. You could name it and see the people in there. When you go to sleep at night, you have a heart that's breaking for them. For others of you, you say, I believe we need to stand against human trafficking, that we would see it end. 
that God has given me a passion to see that thing come to a close. For others of you, some of you, it's student ministry that you say, I just have a heart for those who are younger to have a relationship with Christ, to be discipled in their teenage years and their college years, to begin to reach others for the gospel, to see them step into what God has. Some of you, it's small groups and discipling others and raising them up and caring for them. Some of you, that passion that you have is for those around you. Some of you, it's to break people out of addictions that maybe you came out of. Some of you, it's to help others that are struggling with pornography or meth or drugs or alcohol. Whatever it is, God has given so many different passions to the church that we see an injustice or we see something that needs to be fixed. And we say, I've got a passion. My heart breaks on behalf of God's heart for what's happening. So many different passions. And I celebrate when I meet somebody who has different passions than I do because I see God at work in the church. That each one of us have been called, but I would just encourage, there's so many different things that we could be passionate about, could break our heart, but we can't let the volume of the list paralyze us from choosing something. That we say there's just too many things to have our heart broken, why even bother? You got to choose something. Something that when you see it, you say, I have a passion that this needs to end. I have a passion that person needs to be rescued. I've got a passion that that needs to change. God has given that to you. And we need to lean into it as Christians that we are called that we cannot, let, we cannot let the sheer volume of how many things there are keep us from choosing something. we got to choose something to make a difference in this world. That's the first thought. Just choose something. And the second thought then is to stay on mission. To stay on mission. We talk about that a lot around here. Let me say it this way. Remember the why. Remember why it is that we do. Once you've got an area, once you have a passion, remember the why behind it. Why do we serve? Why do we love? This is what Jesus did. Think about it. If there was anybody in the history of the world that people could point to and say that they loved others, it was Jesus. If there's anybody who is an example of a servant, it would be Jesus. But why did Jesus come? Because everybody loves the actions of Jesus. Everybody loves the story of Jesus. But Jesus himself said over and over again why he came. Over and over again, he said why he came. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and to save. He didn't come for the righteous. He came for sinners. He didn't come for the healthy. He came to save those who were sick. He came that they would have life and they would have it more abundantly. Over and over again, he said, I came to set the captives free. Constantly, you would see he would lay his hands on the sick. He would open the eyes of the blind, but he always, always came for the lost. The Bible says he gave to the poor. The Bible says he laid his hands on the sick, but he always came for the lost. He always came for the church. Listen, there is millions of different ways that our hearts can break. Millions of different passions we can have to make a difference on behalf of God around this world. But we got to remember, we are always, always, always here for the lost. That again, I celebrate the different passions. Every single person has a different lane, a different way that they're going to shape this world. That we're going to make a difference for the body of Christ. But we always remember that it is for the lost. We stay on mission that God has called each one of us. And the Bible says that each one of us separate but necessary part of the body. Each one of you a separate but necessary part. Each one of you has a different calling, a different passion. But all of us are called to reach the law. Separate but necessary. First Peter says that God is using us as living stones to build the church that he is building. You are a living stone being placed. That God is using your life to make a difference. That God has a passion for you. Remember, choose something to make a difference. But remember, the mission is to reach the lost. And I promise you, this is probably at that point, once you've done this, it's probably the moment that most would get talked out of it. Because I promise as soon as you decide, the devil's going to come along and give you that excuse of, well, who are you to make a difference? 
Who do you think you are to make a difference in this area? Who do you think you are to reach out to them or to do that there or to go there or do that? Who are you to start that? Who are you to do all of that? And give you a ton of excuses. As soon as you make a choice to change, the devil gives you excuses to stay the same. Promise you that that's going to happen. But we have to look at that because I promise indifference makes excuses. Purpose does it anyway. Purpose says, I know there's a hundred excuses, but I've got a passion that's breaking my heart on behalf of God. And so I'm going to do it anyway. Even if every voice tries to tell me, well, you're not making a difference and there's no way you could do that. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to push through. Indifference will always make excuses. Purpose says, I'm going to do this thing. I've been called to it. My heart is breaking on behalf. And when you set it in your heart and you watch the Holy Spirit start to move in your life. Because I promise us on our own, we cannot do very much. But you have a passion from God that he's placed inside of you. And you start to pursue it. You watch what the Holy Spirit does. You watch what he begins to do in your life. And then the last thing is this. I want to encourage you. Once we've made that decision, then to endure even when it hurts. We're going to endure even when it hurts. This is what Paul said about his people. He said, my heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief. You watch this in your life. My heart is breaking for these people. You notice the pain. Here's the problem. And this is important because there's a lie so many of us believe that, well, then it would just be easier not to care. There's so many things and all it causes is sorrow and heartache. And I don't think I can actually make a difference. And it would be easier if I didn't even care at all. It's easier not to get involved. It's too much risk to me. It's too much. It's too much time involvement. And my time is very valuable. We begin to believe these things that it's just it's too much. I don't want to get involved. It's easier not to care. I would submit to you that I would rather we suffer. For a divine purpose that God has given us. Then we would waste our lives away doing nothing. I would rather cry myself to sleep because I'm not making the difference that I want to make in this world than binge watch myself to sleep, watching my life waste away into nothing. It is quiet in this church today, everybody. It is. I would rather we sorrow over not being able to do what we thought we could do then we live in indifference, not living out the divine purpose and calling God has for our lives. That we would leave it. Listen, church, if our version of Christianity is all about our comfort, then we are serving a false God. If I never give sacrificially anywhere of myself, if I never serve others and I am constantly being served, if I never pray over something that breaks my heart on behalf of God, if I never fast and pray because I need to deny myself something and I need to tap into God's power. If I never have my heart broken over anybody or anything, then I am missing out on one of the greatest blessings in this life. Because I think too often times we think blessing is just getting more of the stuff that we want. I think sometimes we need to be blessed with a sorrow. Moses was blessed with a sorrow. He looked out over his people and he saw what was happening to him and his heart broke over the conditions they were living in until one day God called him back out of the desert to stand before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. David, the little shepherd boy, blessed with a sorrow that all the armies of God were cowering before Goliath. And he stood out there and said, who are you to stand against the armies of my living God? Nehemiah living in the king's court, 800 miles away, broken hearted over the walls of his people, broken down and his people scattered, broken hearted over the vulnerability of them. He could have stayed in comfort, but he chose not to. He rallied and he organized and he gathered the people and he said, fight, fight for your lives, fight for your families, fight for your sons and your daughters. Broken with a sorrow. Jesus overlooking Jerusalem when he stepped up and he looked out. He said he wept and he cried over them. And he said they're like people, like sheep without a shepherd. 
And then Jesus made that statement, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. Blessed with a sorrow. And I think we too in our lives have been called to things that we should be brokenhearted over. We should have a passion for. We should ache and we should be blessed with a sorrow. Better that we fail in trying to pursue a divine purpose and calling than we waste our lives doing nothing. And I know there are some of you, you're going to hear this and it's going to be kind of nice and just be, you know, that was good. Let's, where do we eat, right? Where are we headed to? What's the next step? What are we going to do? But I guarantee, I'm just believing that God's going to touch some hearts. That we're going to begin to recognize maybe indifference that we're not proud of. Indifference that has worked its way in that maybe we didn't mean to, but it has. If we're going to be honest, if we didn't mean for it to happen, I'll be the first to say it wasn't my intention to become indifferent, but it happened. We're going to be honest with that and then we're going to step into. We're not going to let it paralyze us. We're going to let it galvanize us. We're going to let it step us into then the next step that we're going to take. That we're going to continue to expose ourselves to those things that break God's heart. And we're going to say we can make a difference. That God has called us here. And I need to just warn you, I'll be back. All right, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to continue because I've got a passion too. And it's to move people out of their comfort zone and into the life that God has called them to live. And so I'm going to continue... And I might step on toes while we're doing it. I might offend you in 10 different ways. But I promise you my heart is that we would step into the purpose God has for you. That you would step into the calling he has for you. And I want to close out with this prayer. This is my prayer for you. I did not write this prayer. I wish I had. But this is a Franciscan blessing. That I just want to pray over you. It's my prayer for our church. It's my prayer for the church. It says, may God bless you with discomfort. And easy answers, half truths and superficial relationships. So you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, and war so you may reach out your hand and to comfort them and to turn their pain into joy. May God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so you can do what others claim cannot be done. And may God, and this is my part, may God give us the eyes to see the plan he's unfolding on this earth. That's why we close where we started. Romans 8, 37, it says, in all things, you are more than a conqueror. In all things, you are more than a conqueror. But the only way that's possible is this last little phrase that was there all along. Through him who loved us. Through him who loved us. Not because you try harder, not because you do better. But because of the finished work at the cross. Every head bowed, every eye closed today as we pray. Father, I ask you would stir us up. Stir this portion of the church, this portion of your church, out of our comfort zone, God, to please you in all that we do. God, I pray you would stir up passion to do something on this earth that would make your name great. Stir up passion in our hearts to see an injustice, to see a right, a wrong that needs to be made right. Stir us up, oh God. Give us passion to make a difference. As you keep praying right now, church, I want to talk to a group. And maybe you're here right now or you're watching online and you're hearing all of this about purpose and about God's calling for your life. And you're thinking, I want that, but I feel like God is a million miles away right now. I want the purpose he has for me. I want the calling he has for my life. I want to walk in that, but I feel like he is just too far away or I've never actually had a relationship with him. I want you to know today it is never too late. It's never too late to step into who you might have been. It's never too late to answer the call that God has on your life, that he still has purpose for you. 
And so that is you today. And you say, I want to surrender my life. I want to walk in that. It'd be my honor to pray with you. And I would just, if I could just encourage you, I want you to know that Jesus loves you and he wants you. Because too many times the lie of the devil comes to us in those moments when we're so far down, when you've left disillusioned and unfulfilled, when you feel like you tried so hard under your own strength and now you feel like you've been tossed away. And the devil will come and try to lie to you and say you're not wanted. I promise you, God still wants you. That Jesus loves you. That he has purpose for you. And so right now you can make that decision. It'd be my honor to pray with you. I'm not looking to call you out in front of your friends or family. I'm not looking to embarrass you. I just want to pray with you in this moment that you would make that decision to say the past is the past. I'm going to follow Jesus. If I could just speak maybe to one person here today, one person watching online. You think that the things that you've done disqualify you from the love of Jesus. And I would just submit to you that the Bible says that Jesus didn't come because we were good enough. Jesus didn't come because we had it all together. Jesus didn't come because somehow we had gotten our lives right and we just needed him. And that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He said, I came to seek the sick, not the healthy. I came to reach the sinner, not the righteous. I came to reach all of us. We all were in need of a savior. And the Bible says That he didn't come to condemn us in our sin. He came to set us free. And so that thing that you think disqualifies you is actually the only thing that qualifies you for the love of Christ. That you are a sinner is the thing that qualifies you for redemption. That you are broken is the thing that qualifies you for Jesus to touch your life. That he wants you. He loves you. So right now, if you want to make that decision, we want to pray with you as a church. You got to make that decision. I'll give you the words, but you have to believe in your heart and you have to surrender your life. Right now, we'll pray it with you, church. Nobody prays alone. Say these words. Say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me of all of my sin, of all of my mistakes. I surrender to you. I believe you died on the cross and I believe you rose again. And I make you Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Father, one more time I ask that you would stir up our hearts, God. Show us the passion that you have placed inside of us. And show us the opportunities you have placed in front of us. And let us be a church that follows Jesus in every area of our lives. Stir us up, God. Lord, I pray you would stir us to good works. You would stir us to make a difference. You would stir us to see the passion you have placed in our hearts. Lord, let us never think that we cannot make a difference. Let us never sit on the sideline thinking it's easier not to care. But God, let us jump in to be your hands and feet in this world. That we can make a difference for the kingdom of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray and we'll give you all of the glory and all of the praise. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, can we give God praise for what he's done today?